0: Welcome to CritCast episode five, everybody. It's all about narrative play in Warhammer Underworlds. Uh, Today, I will have my good friend uh, and long-time Underworlds player, Paul McCabe, to help me join and contribute his knowledge on the subject. So without further ado, uh, here's Paul.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Paul. Um, Been playing Underworlds since it was basically released. Um, Big, big fan really really enjoy playing the game and um unlike quite a lot of people who get into underworlds i'm not always into the most competitive aspects of it um i'm i really enjoy a lot more um kind of campaign weekends and things like that when i'm playing other games and, and that's where i really get a kick out of a lot of things in underworlds as well
0: yeah because i think what's kind of missed in general from Underworlds is how you can tie into like narrative elements into your games in general. Because obviously this is a competitively marketed game, but there's a lot more depth to that, which isn't, you know, always focused on or isn't like people people aren't aware of, but it's there if you just dig a bit. And I think it's really worth talking about because there's just small ways you can add it to your game. Um, but a good thing I like the reason I've asked you on is because I think you're probably the most knowledgeable person I have on the subject because of your experience, because yeah, as you've said, you've been on tons of campaign weekends and stuff. And people, I don't think, really realize you can tie that history of wargaming, like just like narrative elements in general, to Underworlds.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff around narrative play already built into Underworlds. I mean, you're right. It is it is an ace competitive game because the rule set is really good and tight because there's um, a lot of really good inherent balance that's been built into the game through you know very careful curation of the design process and how it's been built up over multiple seasons, um, and how um, I know there've been articles about how playtesting has kind of um, fed into a lot of the stuff that Games Workshop has done over the last few years as well. So it's it's a really tight um, system and a fun system as well. But it is at its heart telling stories. You know we, we we've got stories between the different seasons that have come through, you know, starting off in Shade Spire, moving through Shade Spire, you know, and and tying into the Necroquake that happened in Age of Sigmar in general at the time. And then moving into a different realm as we as we've gone to GER with with Beesgrave. And there is a story there. There's there's so much background, there's so much going on. It's already narrative. It's already there for you and and there's there's so much that you can kind of pick up on there.
0: Well, yeah, because I, I think like what you've raised, which is really good, is like any kind of tabletop game, no matter what you're playing, is always about telling a story. Even if it's like a hyper competitive game, you can always there's always elements to tie. But I think that's um, a good representation because I think what people forget is you can have people who play in Underworlds just for fun, and it's it, you can have a way as just telling a story, even if you're not playing competitively. Because yeah, I I. I, my main background is just from playing 40 K and Sigma, like so big tabletop games. But even then before I started playing competitively. It was all about telling a story, like picking the characters I liked, the factions I enjoyed the most, and then building an army or force represented on how, representing on how I felt that army should operate and like its goals. Um, and it's just, I think it's really important to tie narrative to your games and it doesn't have to be like huge things because it can be simple from like, Painting, hobbying, or even just how you like build your deck or write your army list.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it cuts across a lot of what happens in, in the you know in various bits of the game social hobby. So, I mean, we've both been hobbyists for a, a long time, and, and so we're both kind of steeped in a lot of that. And and some of it is second nature to us, but some some things you know for people who Warhammer Underworlds might be their first game, um, you know, they don't necessarily. Uh, know about some of that stuff or they haven't seen it yet Uh, and so that there's there's a lot of stuff that we can kind of talk about here and and some of it is is given to us so i'd start by talking about you know the background of each of the warbands um you know they've already come with this beautiful fluff card that is talking about you know the the the, why they are you know where they are why they've ended up in um shade spire how they ended up in the beast grave why they're there what they're hunting what they're why they've ended up there and and things like that, or or what they're looking for or who they're trying to fight. Um, And you can play that and work that into, you know, how you're playing with that warband or um, how you're painting that warband, as as you point out. So um, obviously we get these beautiful heavy metal painted warbands on on the box art, and that represents a lot of what's there on that background. But, you know, you can take the warband as you like it uh, and you can obviously paint it in a different way. And that can be fed into... Your background that you've built up for that warband, or the way that you play it, um, can can kind of come out of that. Um, you know, your own impression of the models, their their stance, their you know, and, and how you've painted them can really feed into a lot of those things, and that comes out when you're playing. So when you know you're playing with a, a really aggressive, angry model, if you've painted it in you know a really aggressive way, or you've modeled it so that it's leaping forwards even more than it would be normally, or something like that that might encourage you to kind of really throw it at your opponents in in kind of a wild way that you might not necessarily do if you're really thinking through things really carefully. And that can be really fun and also uh, really powerful if someone's not expecting it as well. So so it kind of brings into play style and it's telling that story. It comes back to telling a story again.
0: Yeah, because I think outside of you, the next strongest narrative player, which is technically name dropping, I guess, is probably Phil Kelly. <laughs> uh, he he He's a competitive monster, but the way he plays is always tied to a story he has in his head. Because obviously he's like a senior background writer for Games Workshop now. But I know when he plays as Zarbag's gits, he plays them like, oh, I want to control every objective because I'm a, a git. I want to control everything because, you know, I need to have everything. Or then when he's playing with the Thorns of the Briar Queen, he's like, well, the queen obviously wants to kill everyone because she's crazy and empowered by Nagash she wants to kill the living so obviously she's just going to continually hunt down anyone opposing Nagash and who is alive sure um, and but-
1: well I, I was going to say like like that's there's something about when you play against someone who's like that as well the games are a lot more fun because you get that kind of animated intensity and 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 kind of you get a real feel for what's going on in the game, so it can it can really change someone's enjoyment level of, of what's going on as well i I know when I have played Phil in the past, uh, and you know they are some of the funnest games because he is making everything come to life
0: yeah, and it's like that's the really big thing about narrative play, and I know people like to separate, oh you know you can't be narrative and competitive, you can't mirror it together, but I think there's such a big aspect of narrative play which is overlooked a lot of the time. That people just miss out on because it it can and it usually does enhance your games between your opponent because it like enforces, it doesn't, it helps support the social contracts so of both players have a good time because like even win or lose, you're going to have a good time narratively. Like, um, I know you've done a lot of big armies, but even then they've always had a theme. So, for me, like my Tyranids, I generally like playing armies or warbands that people can kind of, you know, they can kill a bit. So it's not like I'm just this undefeatable force. So I like my tyrannids going like, oh yeah, I've got these tons of monsters. You're going to kill a lot of them, but in the end, I'm just going to overrun you. And it's like that kind of narrative thing where you're like reflecting the background of what you're using, but then Taron go like, oh yeah, I'm, I want to die, but I'm going to bring you down with me and then eat you, for example. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: that that's that's awesome. And, and again, you're kind of evoking something. You're coming back to that whole idea of telling a story. But the, the story that you tell can really be... Um, you know, unique to you, even if you're playing with these, you know, models that are set characters. So um, I was saying earlier about the idea of, you know, you've been playing with um, Scritch and, and uh, you know, that war band for three years odd. And yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's a long time. And you've played a lot of games with them. But that means that, you know, your uh, fighters have done some heroic or cowardly or, Uh, lucky or unlucky actions through that time. And that's going to have left an impression on you in the way that you play them. So each individual, even though you're playing with the same uh, set of models, the same fighters, will have their own projection onto them of, of, of who they really are and how they act. And that can be really different between people. And again, that feeds into the game. When your scritch slinks off into a corner rather than charging into a fray, it's because you know you have seen that, that that this is a situation he doesn't want to be in he's been in here before doesn't want to get killed he's a bit bit coward that the you know spraying that fear mask everywhere as he slinks off into a corner um and that again that, that's that's part of of the narrative that's part of of the story that you're telling while you're playing a game as well as you know maybe being uh, an optimal move so it, it cuts both ways it doesn't mean that you can't be competitive while you're Playing that narrative element into it.
0: Oh well, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think there's like there's always lots of ways to draw ir- inspiration from narrative elements as well as how to reflect them on the tabletop. I think we're both lucky because uh, I know you're a long time member of Hate, and I've, I'm in Hate. I've been in Hate for a long time as well. Now, uh, like so, Hate is the Hackney area tabletop enthusiasts gaming club in London. We're, lo- we're a bunch of lovely people. Uh, very welcoming, despite our confusing name. Um, so as you would have known, like Jack in the first episode is also from hate. And I think we're really lucky in hate because even though we've got a bunch of like really competitive players, we also have a really strong or I'd say even stronger, bigger following of narrative gamers who even used to be competitive gamers or still are. So we can help draw inspiration from that because it's just every time I've seen a game at hate or played a game where or gone to events where hate are, it's always been a good time. I've never known anyone to have a bad time.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean... There's definitely an aspect of bring your A game, but also make sure that the other person's having fun. Because if the other person isn't having fun, then you're probably not going to have much fun either. It's going to leave a sour taste in your mouth, and and that that social contract is, is important. Having an idea, you know, in in a game that isn't Underworlds, maybe that that you um, that you are playing the same game, as it were. So if you've come along with a really fluffy list that is very suboptimal, but going to be a lot of fun to play or, or want to play a particular scenario, and the other person comes with something that is tuned to the current meta and is actually going to stomp face, you probably not either of you is not going to get um a good game or what you really want out of that the competitive person isn't going to get their hyper competitive game and and the the person who just wants to have a bit of fun is not going to enjoy being wiped off the table in two turns and the same is true in underworlds to a certain extent it's leveled a bit more because um, of how tuned and uh, the the rule set is and, and the constraints that we have uh, except in relic play on on you know how many cards you know are in the pool that you can select from um, but you still want to have that same aspect of, you know, why are we both here? Are we playing for a bit of fun? Is this part of a tournament? Um, is this part of a league? What's, what's you know, a- a- and how are we going to a- approach that? And, and coming at it from the same direction really, really makes a big difference as to making sure that everyone is looking for the same thing and enjoying that.
0: Yeah. Uh, but I think a good point to touch on is like, now we've covered basically a bit about you and the whole basics I think if you were to start approaching like how you could implement narrative elements into your game, you've already mentioned it before, but I think a really good point is the warband background. Now if, if you've only been playing from Shade Spire before, like during Shade Spire there was n- the only way you could find out narrative elements to your warband is by reading the core rule book because each warband had its own blurb. But as you say now, warbands from Night Vault going forwards come with their own narrative card explaining their goals, their background and why they're ravaging about in wherever they're playing at the moment?
1: Yeah, and and that's that that's a really cool thing that you've kind of got that set up um, to kind of take forwards and explore, and you know you can build stuff around that from you know the the night vault and shades by warbands who have come through into the beastgrave. You know that that was um, explained in part of the beastgrave core book. That you know they've 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 slipped through, and that's why they're able to be there and fighting all of the Beastgrave Warbands as well.
0: Yeah, because of like as we said, the ne- like the Necroquake, the Curse of the Shade Spire which is basically the people who kind of mastered eternal life, and then Nagash found out and basically blew up Shade Spire to an extent, trapped them in a new dimension, but because of uh, Nagash's magical plans that backfired he's basically fractured the age of sigmar world so now shade spire is like leaking into different versions oh, that's of such a cool world.
1: piece of background and, and there's so many ins to doing cool stuff there as well because it's not just you know the warbands as they've been presented we've already talked about you know painting them differently could also inspire you to do things differently so you know if you've um you know painted your um, oryx as being with ice skin, for example. Maybe they're not the oryx that came from from Shadespire. Maybe they came from somewhere else and, and they represent a different aspect of, of the same race, the same um, warband that's coming in, same rules, but but they, you're suddenly telling a very different story. Um, or you can do things in, in a more subtle way with just the painting. So, um, for example, my Garrix Reavers, um, are very much from the realm of fire. That's the way that I see them. So they've all got um, darker skin tones. They've all been out in the sun. They've been marauding through deserts, rather than the kind of the classic, kind of slightly more pale skin you see on a lot of the the reavers um, that you know come from the box art and things like that. I mean, um, that that was the way that I wanted to interpret that and. That plays into the the way that I'm playing with them as well. So my Reavers, as as a lot of people will have um, experienced when, when playing me, um, are all about the objective grabbing. They're not about charging forwards. They're they're about dancing over those hot coals and and, and getting onto the objectives. And then when people least expect it, bursting out in a fury of flame and, and starting to strike people because they think you're an objective grabbing warband but suddenly you're not you're an aggressive warband because you know we still worship corn we can still throw a punch or an axe in your face um so there's there's some really cool stuff just with painting your models differently again lets you tell a slightly different story about them and
0: 100 oh yeah, percent. yeah
1: yeah and and moving on from that you know maybe your models aren't even the original warband models. I know, John, you've got um, your your fast riders who are not quite fast riders, if you want to talk about them.
0: Yeah, so I've got my... Because like, as you know, you can convert your own warbands. They might not... I don't think they're currently legal at Grand Clashes at the moment, but usually you just ask the TO in advance and they'll like you, give you an answer, which is usually fine. But I've converted two warbands. So the first one I did was... I converted Spike Claw Swarm because I've, I've been playing with them for so long, I was like... I don't want to play a new warband, but I will basically convert them by building lizardmen because I, really, well, I really like Seraphon because <laughs> I really like Seraphon. So I built a skink warband and called them the um, the Seraphon Star Swarm. So it's basically a bunch of Seraphon uh, I've got skinks searching the Night Vault at the time just for trying to c- to stop this curse of eternal life. And I used Spike Claw Swarm stats to represent them. But then I've also done um, Alariel's Forest Riders. So my own take on the fast Stride is using free Kurnoff Hunters. So the giant, well, not the giant treatment, the big treatment. Uh, <laughs> and my story behind them is just like, you know, uh, Alariel wants to know about this eternal life thing because she's the element of life. So she sent in her free Forest Riders to find out because of Hunters a work in the name of Kernoff, so she's got that aggressive element but also she can trust them to scour ahead so it's just stuff like that uh, and then like other ways I tie narrative elements so if you've seen my warbands they're all painted the same base color that's because when I paint I want to tie green and the desert base because if you read the narrative of Shadespire Shadespire is surrounded by this endless desert going on to the infinite distance and on the outskirts of Shadespire that's where I imagine everyone fighting at the moment and as it's spilled into the beast grave, it's I can still keep that sandy element because Ger is a dry, arid place while well, the Beast Grave is anyway. Mm. So I can still keep that sandy base theme and alter it slightly depending on the warband with like shades and washes. Mm. But yeah. it just it melds everyone together. So no matter what warband I'm using, even though they're all painted differently because they all have that same base scene, I can tie them narrative to going like, yeah, they're all fighting in the same place. It's just different schemes for different dudes and girls
1: yeah no that's that's super cool and 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 such a forward looking way of looking at it as well the um i mean it's it's been made explicit that the realms are you know absolutely huge and even you know in in the realm of fire for example you it's not like it's all sand and fire that you're there you know there are still civilizations living there they you know they have to eat they have to you know somehow find and, and and make food and things like that so that there, is, there is a lot of scope there. I mean, I imagine those deserts outside of, uh, of um, Shadespire being, you know, the sand either being melted down to make the special shade glass and things like that as part of the process, or that being just millions and millions and millions of, of grains of ground down grass. So it's actually not even sand itself. Yeah, you know, there, there's so many ways that you can kind of run off in, in directions there. But it's really cool that you've tied that into your bases.
0: Um, yeah it's just like it's just a little thing that you can do oh, like obviously we're kind of at an advantage because we've read more into the Age of Sigma background because we don't just play Underworlds but even then if you read like the Underworlds narrative books they kind of tie into warbands we haven't seen before like I know the first Shadespire book ties into like hmm. how an empire like Cities of Sigma warband just humans are fighting in, in the Underworlds and then the Beastgrave has a different Beastman warband which is weird and then a silver nephil war But it's like, because if you read those books, they tie into how the death and reincarnation works, because in the in Shadespy, you don't die. Well, you do die, but then you just resurrect. So people die, and then they wake up again, in, even in the same spot, different parts. Oh, Sigma would kill to know the secret. Exactly. And that's why he's sending so many of his fighters in, even though it's kind of like a doomed task, because they never come back. <laughs> and it's like, even if you don't read the bigger picture of everything from and if you only just tie yourselves to the underworld narrative, which is in the core rules and even to an extent the books, there's enough there for you to build off of to tie that to your game. So you don't need to feel like, I want to tie a bit of narrative to my game. I guess I need to read all the books. Like you don't need to do that. No, no. Yeah, uh, there's there's just as like when you're trying to be competitive, you can do minute amounts of work to get big re- rewards from that.
1: Well, yeah. And, and as we mentioned, the realms are so big and there's so many possibilities that there's so much room for you to make stuff up. Like, you know, you don't need to be tied to what you've read about. Um, you can you can invent things and you can bring them in. Um, I mean, I, I really wanted to do some, some Blight Kings as uh, counts as um, Steelheart's champions. Um, mm. Sadly, by the time I got around to actually doing them, we had uh, a, a whole other nurgle warband came out that was absolutely beautiful and I just went you know I'm I'm just, just going to paint these guys instead they they're just awesome they're exactly what I wanted from from that um and and one of my favorite warbands still um but you know the, it didn't stop me being inspired and and going away and and, and starting to you know convert up and, and put paint to paint to miniatures
0: well yeah good thing is even the miniatures have a lot of detail as well so if you read the background um if you read the background of the card it will show you you know their backstory but then if you look into the models like especially with the beast grave season the miniatures really give the story by the little stuff they add so if you look like becula has her Retchline, which is a pet nurgle mm-hmm. and like sepsimus has a slug on his base a, a giant maggot nurgle maggot Kind of representing the giant Nurgle maggot that spat them in to the to the beast grave.
1: Yes, they are the worm spat.
0: Exactly. So it's like you can, if you look, you can see the narrative elements on the models themselves. Yeah. Because if as you if you like are aware of how GW well Games Workshop designed their stuff, it's usually it's narrative and the models first. So they get in like narrative brief. Have they've gone over before? Then they build the models. Then the rules have a go at them. So if you, if you're like struggling to find inspiration, you can just look at the miniatures and especially with the underworld miniatures, they're so like evocative and the way they're mod- modeled is very characterful. Yeah, definitely. You can find enough just by reading the fighter cards or even just looking at the models, like using the Worms back again, they're such a, like they're my favorite warband that they've modeled because of the, there's so much, like there's so much expressed in each model, like so you've got Septimus, who looks like a proud fighter. He's got the stance of a proud and noble fighter, but then he's corrupted by Nurgle with this, all these mutations, tentacled fingers, and just grisly trophies. And then Fecula looks like you're—you normally think of like a withered withered witch, but then she's like overgrown, bigger than the rest of the warband, she, almost.
1: Yeah, she's an imposing figure.
0: Yeah, and then you've got Gulgosh, who like you think of like a double-blade noble warrior, and then he just looks like a ferocious beast. Even though he's slow, you can tell he's dangerous to get to even though he's not wearing much armor. And like they're kind of like a mirror, dark mirror image of um, Steelheart's champions. Exactly, yeah. So you can just build so much just by even just looking at the miniatures.
1: Mm. And and not even just the miniatures as well. I, I mean, Warhammer Underworlds has probably more artwork than so many similar games of, of a similar age because of the number of cards, um, all those cards or well, not every single one, but, but so many of the cards have, have beautiful artwork on. Um, and you can use the, not even just the, the artwork, but the names of the cards to, to really make you think about and, um, you know, different bits of the background. So things like the Urgrub, you know, what is it? What's that all about? How cool is that? Like these, I love I the these different, um, you know, upgrades that you can get from, from it. And, Maybe you could think about modelling uh, a warband all around that, and and that can lead you into you know the way you build your deck because you're like, well, I think the Urgrub's cool. I'm definitely going to have all of the you know bits of Urgrub um, artifacts in in my warband and try and get them onto one person, and and have them with all of the cool Urgrub bits and pieces modelled onto that model, ready for 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 that. You know, I've seen people. I mean, it used to be a thing that people did quite a lot in Shadespire of having two versions of a warband painted up one for when they're inspired one for when they're not and so you could have take that one step further and say okay well because I'm always going to try and get the Urgrub stuff onto one of these two fighters I'm going to have a couple of extra models for these fighters and they're going to be modeled with the Urgrub equipment on them I mean how cool would that be if, if halfway through the game your opponent says I'm equipping this thing and pulls out another model equipped with that thing ah that that, that that's such a cool idea actually I want to go off and do yeah,
0: that it, <laughs> this is the thing. It's like you can just do. Obviously, it will cost you more, but the enjoyment you get out of that is is really big. Like uh, even with my warbands, the way I've converted them, I think it was some of the most enjoyable fun I've had with Underworlds, mm. even though I, it wasn't technically involved with playing anything. And there's like so many ways you can tie the cards even to your narrative elements. So with my Thorns of the Briar Queen deck that I used to won the Scottish Grand Clash. I called it Swarming Spirits, and I took the name from the objective Swarming Spirits, even though I didn't use it in the deck, because well, obviously it didn't fit the deck. Oh, sabotage. I tried. Well, yeah, but it's also the the way the night haunt work, is if you read the narrative, they s- overwhelm their opponents in might because there's just too many ghosts to deal with. Yeah, of course. And that's how I basically tied it. So I gave the name of the deck based on the card and then used the idea to just overwhelm my opponent from the narrative just to swarm them, and that's just even a minor thing like you don't even have to do these not really big things but you know you can just do it by giving your deck a specific name based on how you want to play it and how you feel it represents the background
1: yeah i mean the idea of 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 naming decks um uh, is something that not everyone will end up doing um but it is a really cool idea to to get yourself into that headspace as well um no i really like that
0: yeah it's just a nice thing because you know a lot of people name you deck but then it's like it gives more individualism to what you're playing and i think that's just an important way because the more you make something your own the more enjoyment you get out of it because you feel like yeah i'm really like growing and learning with this as i play and it obviously isn't for everyone but it really builds a lot of enjoyment and that's how i generally play as well because mm. especially with spike claw swarm uh, i was already quite in depth with the skaven and basically (laughs) i almost became scritch (laughs) so it's just like as paul said everything i did was basically like yeah this isn't really noble for scritch to run away but you know he is a skaven and he wants to live so i'll just sit back for now because you need to come to me and frustratingly sometimes (laughs) yes or like playing defensively going like yeah i I mean i'm a ferocious clan rat but i'm just gonna sit back Or, or now you're in now you're surrounded by me and now i'm gonna go in or it's like all of a sudden Scritch runs away one turn and then the next turn he barrels across the board and stabs you in the corner. So it's just all those little things you can tie into how you play. Like even like the Cornwall bands, as Paul said, I really liked how Paul did that twist because generally everyone who played him would go, Oh, you're Reavers, you're going to run in like your Corn, cool you're just going to run in. And then you go, will oh, sit back on the objectives and they go, Okay, now I'll come to you. And then you go, Ha, now. Now I've got everything I needed. Now you're in range. Now I'm going to punish, punish you for coming towards me and claim your skull, which is why I really liked. So yeah. it that, like that two-tier thing. And you never should be fooled into the trap of, well, this is how it forms in the narrative, so this is how it has to be done. Because Corn isn't always a bloodthirsty monster. He's still a tactician warrior, even though his tactics may degrade at times. <laughs> it's just...
1: <laughs> hey, when you don't pull the right objectives... Taking someone's skull is still a perfectly acceptable way to score glory, and uh, well, exactly, and, and still on point, on theme.
0: Well, yeah, this is it. You go like, well, I can't score any of my objectives, but I can still kill you and claim your skull for corn. Indeed. So it's like those kind of things which you can really tie into and have a lot of fun with. And even with how you paint your warbands as well. Like I know you've touched on that as well with your like, um, with your realm of fire, Garrix Reavers. But I've done the same. Like. Uh, uh the paint scheme for my grass racks the spoilers so I've painted them as if they're worshipping Sunesh because I really like Sunesh. Mm. Uh, like my love for the Chaos Gods alternates like the great game itself. <laughs> so uh I wanted these to be painted like Sonesh, So they're pale with like purple shading for the skin to represent that Suneshi glow. So um and I also tied green to my elements so I gave them like green weapons to represent like they've poisoned it because Sonesh is underhanded at times. So it's just stuff like that. So even though I haven't really changed how they play or anything, in the painting I've gone, oh yeah, these are Slaneshi ongors and Ongors, they just they don't fully understand Slanesh, but they still understand the basics. They have that eternal lust for perfection that they can't quite comprehend
1: yeah and and kind of just um wanting to go overboard on everything and, and that kind of thing yeah no that, i mean it's a really cool way of bringing aspects into underworlds which don't already exist there because you know we don't have any um official Slanishi war bands so yes. how, you, you know there's nothing stopping you from from bringing them in 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 that way which is which is really cool
0: yeah because like um if you read the Beastman, beasts of Chaos Codex, like their well, army book, their slanesh beastmen don't really understand why because they they're not evolved enough to fully understand yeah their I mean, lustings of slanesh. But they just have this possession, like they have this obsession to possess everything, even though they want to destroy everything at the same time. I think it was so kind the way of I represent really codex. well
1: in 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 Warcry, actually, kind of what you're describing because a lot of the warbands in Warcry they look like they're leaning towards one of the chaos deities. But they don't you know, they don't know what corn is or what cinch is. They just know that this is the thing that seems to be working for them and, and they're getting boons from it. And it's the same with those beast men, right?
0: Yeah. And then my deck had a lot of weapon upgrades. So I'd go they were just going around obsessing over everything and stealing everything. So they were finding every weapon they could and just picking it up because they needed to have everything because they're Sinesh. An and that's how you can just tie minute things to tell a story without even like you don't always need your opponent to engage into the narrative, but it's those things that know you can like personal goals, you can achieve yourself. And it's just like a personal tick sheet, mm. which is how I play as well at times, especially war bands. I really enjoy.
1: Well, I think that kind of, we can pick up on that a bit in um, a bit more on the gaming side of things, but um, yeah, what one, one idea I did have for a, a campaign event would be, um, as one of the things to have underworld bingo, um, during the game. So every time you do, you know, a thing, you mark off something on your bingo card. So it, it, you know, every time you, uh, you know, you, you have to kill someone, but you also have to run away from someone or you have to, you know, do all these different things. And that can be quite thematic as well. And quite cool kind of ticking off those things. And you can make those custom for each kind of war band. So a cowardly war band or an aggressive war band, um, would have like a different bingo card.
0: Yeah, exactly. But I, I think that's a good point to tie into, like, gameplay. I mean, I've already touched it upon with my Swarming Spirits and, to an extent, my Spike Claw Swarm, because the, the Spike Claw Swarm was the easiest one because Skaven, generally, think you liked them to run away all the time. And at the time, everyone played them by just running away onto objectives. But people forget, like, when Skaven get cornered or when they have the advantage, they will go on the hyper-offensive-aggressive. Yeah. Originally, I used to play them hyper-aggressively. But as I refined and developed them... I played more basically flex. So I would, depending on my opponent, I would sit back, score what I needed, while they didn't score anything. And then when they came to such a situation where they were now surrounded by me, then I'd go on the hyper offensive and just pounce them or stab them, then run away, like hit and run tactics. Or while they felt safe, far away, Scritch would just suddenly run in and stab and murder everyone. Yeah. like, And then it's just, it's really thematic, but also really strong. And I think at the time, no one really, but they didn't think it was doable at the time. But it's just, even then, it's like, you have the clan rats picking up weapons and going, yeah, normally they shouldn't be able to kill this stuff, but they're using sneaky stuff like abusing lethal hexes or going after wounded fighters with this massive weapon they found around like a massive shade glass hammer or a shade glass dagger. It's little things that tie into the game to make it effective without you even realizing it sometimes
1: yeah i mean it it's it's quite cool it comes back to that idea of you know you've been playing with them a lot um and as you've played with them they've kind of gained experience and uh, as, as you have so now they know how to do things better so they have worked out how to lure other war bands into these kinds of traps which i've got to say as a player you're obviously an absolute expert in luring <laughs> other people's war bands <laughs> into traps and making them pay with spike claw swarm and um uh you know it isn't just running away it is doing things with with a with that scaven cunning purpose in that case but you know obviously this feeds into other warbands as well so when i um started making up my um Mantrappers, man trappers um i had this idea that i really wanted you know hothgorn to be all about the eating things so much so that he's heard about the the silent people um and you know, he finds bones, and and you know they're all right as a, as a bit of an appetizer. But he really wants to find, you know, there's got to be one living one out there somewhere for him to eat as a delicacy, uh, as as something that he can really get his teeth into and, and enjoy being the only person to have, or the only ogre to have uh, eaten this. Um, and so that that's where I started going with with building and painting my own hothgrons, man trappers, and and everything around that in my head was, you know the uh the you know the whole point of the warband was scouring and searching for them and that played into the way that i started playing them as well so rather than hiding uh my my helpful little uh green skins um at the back of the board and trying not to get them killed for glory they'd be scouring out across the board looking for you know what they want to find obviously i played that into the way i was running the deck so they're you know grabbing objectives or setting themselves up to be a support for Hawthorne to go in and, and, and you know murder someone, um, or setting a trap in some places and then Hawthorne pulling them into the trap and whatnot. But it still played into that the, the way in which I was, was trying to play the Warband, the way in which I was trying to build the the deck, the cards I was selecting. Um, and when you play games against people and you talk them through that narrative, again they they get into it, they they enjoy playing the game a bit more as as hopefully do you.
0: Yeah, I think like another way is like, as you can tie with cards. So at the moment, I'm really a fan of Fated Blade and I've been playing Eyes of the Nine again mm. and like people are like, why Fated Blade? Larval Lance, like a on paper better weapon. I'd go on paper it is, but firstly, I'm playing Zeech and this is a very Zeechian weapon, but it ties into how the warband works. So it could do no damage or it could do five damage. And as I'm basically playing Zeech, my warband is very weak offensively outside of the zangor kacharik so all of a sudden i think it's perfectly fitting for navio to run into someone with the fated blade hit and then do four damage and like kill the leader or do no damage or just do one and then just drive someone back with like a pathetic hit it's narrative but also still very strong because round one they could charge in and potentially lop off a big fighter's head and then go perfect. That was just as planned. Yeah. Or Zinch going. Oh no, you were too aggressive. That's my fickle reward for you. And and
1: your opponent knowing that that random element exists can sometimes you know make them play a bit differently because they don't know exactly how they're going to need to react to it. So you know, which again <laughs> fits into the 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 cunning swirling plans of, of Zinch as well.
0: Yeah, it's it's just like little stuff like that. I mean, I've already touched on with my spike, uh, not my, with my swarming spirits, like my night haunt swarming into you. And basically because people really couldn't it punish people playing hidden paths. But as it was just like swarming, you would go into this corner and go like, oh, I'm on your edge checks now. And then I'll go, that's perfect. Now my warband just pu- pump you, pu- puts you into a corner, you're surrounded and I get free to for like four glory off of it and then maybe kill you. But the thing about that, I would also have elements for me to score that then pull away. Because once again, if you read the narrative as well, they kind of hit you in waves. So they come in one wave, like kill whoever they can, or just like dent the enemy, then pull back like a tide and then go in again. And it's just, if you can represent that and pull it off in the tabletop, it's incredibly strong, but difficult. Mm. And because that was, even though I stole the inspiration from the reading players, like mechanically, uh, I got inspiration from it, how I played narratively as well, because I have read up on the, um, background for the night as well as listen to like videos on YouTube who go over the narrative as well. So it's just other ways you can tie it in yeah. and it's just, yeah, themed gameplay. That's really strong. Like weird. My ripper Snarlfangs as well. Their background is they're looking for the biggest chopper ever to like rule the world because, um, Ripper has had a dream from Gork or Mork about it. So I have a lot of weapons in the deck. So it's just them, like, this is a good weapon. I'll throw it away and pick it up. Because I've cycled through a lot of weapons in the deck. Like, originally had the Amberbone weapons. Then I swapped them for the Nullstone Sword and Swordbreaker. So while I've been maximizing the swords I'm looking for, narratively, I've been like, this sword was cool, but it keeps breaking, so I'm going to throw it away. These ones don't break. They break other people's stuff, or they really <laughs> hate wizards. So There's just stuff like that. Um, and I love Ripper's Nullfangs. So even though I don't play them, like, as my main warband... That's how you can tie in little things without having to tell your opponent to realize. But then you can also add in the into the post game chat and explain why you've done things like that. Mm.
1: Yeah, it doesn't even have to be post game. I mean, you know, you, you you can tell someone right up front, uh, psych them out a little bit, but also say, you know, this is this is what my warband's going to do. This is what they're about. They're about you know bashing your head in and stealing your weapons. So that's what I'm going to do. Just so you know, um, and it can and it can make for a really fun game. Um, and I mean, we're kind of talking around, you know, pretty standard games of, of Underworlds here. And and again, it's it's such a great tight rule set that you can, you know, really work that narrative into your straight up games of, of Underworlds. But you can go a different way. You don't always need to be playing, um, you know, n- kind of normal straight up competitive Underworlds. Um, you know, there are rules in the rule book for multiplayer games. It doesn't always have to be one-on-one. Um, And they can be some of the funnest games that that you have. I mean, they certainly have been for me. Uh, And they do tell a different story.
0: Yeah, exactly. I I think a good thing to touch on was like, multiplayers are a very different way to play, Mm. but can also be very enjoyable, just because of like the fractious alliances or just representing your warband. I think the funniest thing I saw with multiplayer was where, for all this thing, really, was where they put all the four boards in a line, so they were just doing long ways. <laughs> um, but the Sepulchre Guard player placed first, so then they basically put him in the corner. And then it kind of made sense because they were all running Chaos Warband, so they kind of just like cornered the Sepulchre Guard <laughs> on their own. But even then, it's just like how you can tie that up where like Chaos would go, you know, I'm Garrick's Reavers and McGall's Fiends. So we're going to work together for this round. But then next round, they'll go, you know, like, okay, I've killed everyone near me. The only one near you is you. I'm corn. I want your skull. Uh, you've done my work for me now. Just, like, lop your skull and, and get this. <laughs>
1: and
0: take, uh, but take even both th- the skulls. Exactly. But even then, there's other elements, like, um, so you've got the Glass Mad gargant where you're, like, the cool thing, they've added elements of other things breaking into Shadespire and Beast Grave. Mm. So you've got the Glass Mad gargant and recently the Fomeroid Crusher, so those things kind of breaking into the on worlds and being trapped as like wandering beasts who have accidentally l- lumbered into this place and now are trapped with the eternal curse and going mad because they can't die and everyone they kill keeps coming back.
1: Yeah, and I mean, such... imagine being that guardian, and every time you, you know, you eat someone, they come alive in your stomach. Like how how mad would that be?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like you go. I'm getting really weird stomach pains at the moment. <laughs> and then even when the giant dies or gets. Because they're excruciating pain because you still feel everything when you die in Underworlds, but you just recover from it. But it's like, you're going, this should be a mortal wound, and then I've recovered from it. It's not right. Even them, they're, even though they're like mad beasts, fundamentally they know this is wrong, and it's represented by how they play as well. But you can tie that as, like a good thing I saw was like, with the Glass Mad Mar- Garganas, where you had like Thundrix Profiteers and the Order Warbands teaming up, because they were like, okay, we we actually need to work together to take this thing down because it's going to blow us off. And then, like, in the end, the Thundrix Profiteers backstabbing anyone, everyone uh, and in getting the most glory because, you know, they wanted all the gold because they're pirates. It's stuff like that, how you can tie it in. Mm. And I think a good one is, if you've played Arena Mortis, the free white dwarf version, I think, even though it's kind of like a love-hate game, it's probably the most narrative fun I've had playing Underworld because of all those... Uh, like frictitious uh, alliances you have, you go like, okay, this guy's in the lead, so we won't kill our, uh, each other. We'll just kill this guy, because they have the most upgrades. So we'll kill him to get more upgrades for ourselves. But then you go like, you can't really trust your opponent, because in the end, they also want to do that. Exactly. Because uh, I remember I was playing against Phil Kelly once, and he was using, I think, Tefk? So then I was running around with Lund, and I shot him in the back, and he was just like, what? why are you shooting me? I was like, I'm so sorry. I just... I need this kill to get the glory. He's like, but we're Dewardin brothers. And I was like, yeah, but I need that. And then he came back and just like goned me out for the rest of the game. And like, when he finally killed me, he was like, okay, now our grudge has been settled. You can, you can uh, do what you want. But remember, if you kill me, I'm going to chase you down like I did. And I was just like, so sorry. How very boring. Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just like, it represented, you know, because even though um, Thundrix Propheters are Dewardin, they're not like your typical Dewardin. And then with Phil being the chosen axes, showing how they're still very, very much grudge obsessed. Mm.
1: Yeah, no, but it's just- it was, it's those alternate game modes. Like they they throw something different in, and they can be a real palate cleanser if you're doing a lot of competitive gaming. You know, with 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 your mates, you know, if you're playing a league and and you just want something a bit different, they can be fun. But you can you can actually theme whole events around this, and and go even further. You know, you can have um uh, an event where, where it's not about you know the winners playing the winners up until you know you have a swiss champion um you can run entirely themed events that are, are using some of these scenarios or even making up your own ones as well that kind of feed into this know, so having for example a shared objective deck with um some objectives that people can score on top of their normal ones from their deck to get extra glory or a special kind of glory that you use as a currency that you can spend between games on um, bringing your pecking order up um, in in some kind of campaign. Or, for example, if there's a campaign map and, and you use your glory points from games to explore bits of that map to find, say, that huge chopper that you were looking for or the silent people or um you know a way out of Shadespire and into um the beast grave there, there's all these kinds of things and again it's it's telling a story but it's also playing games around to help people tell that story and using the mechanics there to to have fun around that
0: yeah because it's a really good way to especially for league weekly gaming even not like you don't even have to tie it to events even though events would be really cool cuz you can basically do it all in one day and tell a new story but when you're playing like regularly it's a nice way to get people to play new warbands by explore the game differently that they might not have expected. Like I remember when we were doing some team events, we got people to use different warbands. So everyone had to use a new unique warband, but mm. something they hadn't played before. And like people could pick whatever reason, but a lot of people go, you know, like, I really liked, um, playing like steel, like the stormcast. I've never played them before. So I'll pick like the magic guys. Cause I've, I've not used magic before. So I want to see how magic does mm. or someone going like, um, uh, Usually I'm quite an honorable player, but I'm feeling quite duplicitous today. So I think I'll, today I'll go with Claw Swarm. It's stuff like that. And even with team tournaments, like I remember when I was picking one of my teams, so what I was going to do for, which one was it? So the first team event, we kind of all just settled on Chaos Warbands. So I was Claw Swarm and then my two allies were Magor's Fiends and Garrick's Reavers. So we were just basically Chaos we were just like murdering everyone, but we were deceptively aggressive. So people go, oh, you're all chaos. You're going to be aggressive. And we're kind of like, the, the other two was more unintentional, but it was just kind of go like, yeah, we'll sit back and then like just pounce and do our work. Was
1: that the the UKTC um, a couple yes. of years ago? Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, and then even with, what do you call it? So the UK Games Expo, we were going to go to the team event. The way we played around that was, it's was going to be me, Phil Kelly and Jay Claire. So Jay wanted to explore Nurgle uh, with a worm spat and Phil was going to stick with his, his, his one true love thorns of the bride. <laughs> yes. Uh, Cause he really loves the queen. Um, and then I was going to go with Hrothgorn's man trappers. So I was like, I want them to be aggressive, but I'm going to be more aggressive than the others. So I'll build my guys like about speed because, you know, they want to get to the opponent quickly because they're hunters and trackers. So I focused a lot of the deck on speed and surprise aggro and like tricking my opponent in certain ways, like push cards. So even though it was primarily game-based, we were still tying slight narrative elements into how we were playing, either intentionally or unintentionally.
1: Mm. Yeah. And-, and even how we formed the team. And and that will definitely come out from, you know, the, the, the various, um, like, personalities of, of, of the people who are playing there. I mean, I happen to know all of the people on that team, as it were, but the, the uh, for example, the way that Phil has done his Thorns of the Briar Green, um, you know, dripping with blood, uh, it already puts you in this kind of evocative um, sense. You've got an idea of, of, of where they're coming from just by looking at those models uh, and the way that that plays, uh, I think, is is stacks up with that as well.
0: Yeah, uh, and it's, it's just really fun way like especially with the thorns so if you've got war bands with no name fighters i kind of stole this from phil as well after playing with him but he's named all his fighters exactly yeah with thorns of the briar queen you know he knows the forbidden original names of the fighters but even the chain rafts never had names (laughs) so he's named them like their own names like i've named um so i've named the chain rafts one to four so i've named them helmet head because one has a helmet horseshoe because one has a horseshoe lock around his head Planky because one's got a plank in his arm, headless because he has no head, uh, and like like then you've got the ever hanged, Barclav and the Queen. So even though it's just going chain rust, one will now attack. I'll go Planky. I like you, Planky. You're, you're feeling brave today. You got a bit of wood, you're headless. <laughs> like I like you, headless. You've already lost your head. You can just stay at the back and capture my objectives. It's just little things like that. You can even rename the fighters. Like there's nothing stopping you renaming the fighters as long as they're still identifiable.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And, and you know, making sure that you are being clear with your opponent. You're not trying to obfuscate things. You're just trying to add a different element to the game.
0: Yeah. And I think it's uh, even in the tournament, you know, it's it's not always going to be easy to like highlight the social contract, but it's more important. Well, it's more, it's easier to do when you're playing casually or like regular gaming nights with friends. But I still recommend like tying little narrative elements because even if you don't, get that from your opponent it, as, as like we've mentioned before, it's kind of just like a little self tech, uh, like a self check sheet you can do while you're playing just to have fun by yourself. Go like, okay, I I may have lost today, but scritch killed three fires by himself or something like that. You know, you know, it's, it's the way you've gone. Like I have won, uh, but I've also managed to kill a lot of fires. So I've got some more skulls to put on my base. Cause I know I've played against a lot of people who either put skulls on their models after killing um, <laughs> enemy fighters at tournaments or enemy armies, so it's like, oh, I've killed your leader, so I'm going to put his skull on my base, yeah, on my model's like trophy belt. And I was like, that's cool, like that's really like minute things, but are just really nice. Oh man, so uh, yeah, I don't know if if you've
1: ever listened to the um, the Full Stride podcast, one of the guys from that, Matt. Mm. Uh, he has a, a heresy army. A world eater's heresy army, and uh, he he definitely looks for skulls. Especially, one of his things is uh, you know the more exotic, more interesting the skull, the more the more we want it. Uh, so I started modelling onto the bases of my Thousand Sons in heresy uh, some more exotic looking skulls out of the Nagash box, um, just to kind of goad him into chasing down my my fighters, and it made for a really fun kind of interplay uh, whenever we played games of heresy together.
0: Yeah, and it's just like little things like that. Obviously, corn players are the easiest easiest way because, you know... It, it's a it's, nice, clear goal. There's a skull. It, I want it. Even the iron skulls, like the Oryx, you know, they just want to smash and bash. So, obviously, aggro is the easiest way. Uh, but there's even other ways, like, obviously, like Spike Law Swarm sitting back. But, you know, you've got, like, modelling opportunities if you've wanted to give your fighters different weapons that, like, they steal, like there's so many weapons to choose from that you can model from just the artwork, which is like little things you can tie into your fighters.
1: Yeah. Um, and like conceptually, again, you can look at the background of a war band and how they would act. So the profiteers, Thundrix profiteers, you know, <laughs> they're profiteers. They're looking to profit. They, they, you know, they, they, they come from a culture of, of, uh, entrepreneurship and, and trading and, you know, sometimes a bit duplicitous trading. And they are uh, you know, maybe they are looking for cool things that they they found in um in the shade glass city. Uh and you can start modelling some of that. So you can model them so that they're on a base, say, where they're on an objective that they're picking up, you know, this massive shade glass dagger that they found, which huh, maybe that'll be worth some uh, some coin.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's it's all these little things. And even if they're just cosmetic cosmetic effects, not only they they like give you like a nice story element, they also tie for you the way ways you can model model and personalize your warbands so they they're more unique to you. Because you know, even though painting is an optional, I mean, painting is optional. It's just a nice way to make your warbands more unique and more representative of how you play and how you feel they should play.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, and and. It can, it, it can really change the way that you play a warband as well um, because it changes the way you're thinking about it and it can change the way that your opponent is reacting to it as well. Um, you know, And that can mix things up because if, if you're used to playing in a local meta and you're used to playing the Thorns of the Briar Queen and, and them always kind of being played the same way and you know dominating and then suddenly someone comes in, same warbands maybe slightly different cards but the way that they're using them has been influenced by them modeling them differently and and talking about the way they're using them differently and it can really shake things up and and make for some really fun experiences and also um make you better competitive players as well because suddenly you're having to try and deal with things that are different to how you've gotten used to them being i know we've you know it's been talked about within the community quite a lot the idea that you know you need to um, practice outside of of your you know what you're trying to play against normally, um, and that can be a really fun way of doing it as well of of, of having that introduction come in.
0: Yeah, it's like, and it also in, you can tie that into because the great thing, one of the greatest things about Underworlds is warbands can be played in any way you want. You don't have to follow them by a strict route. Yeah, exactly. So a good example of like eyes of the nine. Generally, people play them quite cagey to run away because they're fragile, and you know, like that scene, you know, trickery, run away. But you can go, you know what? Today I'm going to play them really aggressively because Zinch is also about overwhelming magical force. So you've got Kacharik who's already running around doing damage free. But then you've got Vortimus charging up, blasting everyone with magic as well. And it's like a nice surprise to your opponent because they go, oh, I thought you'd be playing quite way more defensively. But then you're also in your face more, teleporting around, blasting your opponent with magic. And they're all of a sudden getting blown apart quicker than they can deal with. It's just... It not only does it represent um, how they work, how they can work narratively, but it also gives you a new way to play that will surprise your opponent.
1: Yeah. I mean, when when Eyes of the Nine first came out, um, I remember playing in a store event and um, a guy who had bought them and painted them up overnight and was playing the next day with them, he would roll a dice before each game. And he didn't tell me until after our three games why he was rolling that dice, and he was letting the fate of the dice decide how he was going to play that uh game uh He kept oh, wow. consistent for for the rounds in that game, but he was changing how he was going to play based on that um The idea was it would keep me off kilter if if he was flipping his star and he'd make quite a flex deck to kind of go along with that. I mean he didn't do well if I'm honest um <laughs> <laughs> but it was really fun it was really cool and when he explained that to me afterwards um I was like ah okay that that makes a bit more sense as to why you were choosing to do something um it was fun I wouldn't nec- necessarily recommend going quite down that route but you know yeah. he was really playing up to the character of, of the war band that that he as he saw it as he wanted to play it
0: yeah I think um when I was playing an eyes line player as well, the way he would cut his deck, or I cut your deck, is he would roll a like a D ten and instead of just like splitting your deck and like putting it on top, he would pick that many amount of cards to put from both card from both decks to the bottom. So if you rolled a one, like the top card from each deck would go to the bottom. If you rolled yeah. a seven, the top seven cards would go to the bottom. I thought that was really cool, even though it's just like a minor thing about how you cut your deck. It's just even adding those kind of minor... like minor tweaks to how you just interact with your opponent or play the game is like a really huge way to because it makes it more memorable for most players because i still remember that even though that game was like three years ago nearly i still remember these like little things um so like if if your opponent can remember that you're obviously always going to remember these things because it, it makes it more defined as a memory for when you you know when you want to think back on stuff,
1: yeah, it does. So, I guess we should probably kind of um, summarize. Cause yeah, we, we've kind of wound our way through lots of things, kind of back and forth. um So, just just to kind of go back over and make sure that we've kind of covered all the th- the, the things that we were thinking about around this, because there is so much to it. um So, we talked about warband backgrounds and and yeah. how you know they're there for you; they're already really cool, and um, you can play up to them. You can you can play into them. You can. Um, you know, use that as, as an idea of how it's going to feed into not only your playing, but how you act and kind of deck build. Um, yep.
0: And you can always find inspiration for that from like the Warband cards, the mm-hmm. narrative cards at the front, or even just reading through the core rule book, because that always has a nice bunch of narrative, even though it's my new, as well as White Dwarf articles, because White Dwarf has recently had a lot of narrative excerpts, usually written by mm. Phil Kelly or other members of the team that just give more depth to the warband so there's always that ease of access depending on how much you want to go
1: and flavor text on on the cards as well that can kind of exactly. get you in there as well you know that sometimes there'll be a throwaway line in there that just makes you go yeah this this is this is this is my jam this is what i want to do with this warband this is what it's all about um and then into kind of painting the warband so um, if you're painting it differently, maybe that feeds into where they're coming from, what they're doing. Maybe it's not, as I said, Garak's Reavers. Maybe it's someone else's Reavers from a slightly different realm, um, coming in it slightly differently um, and changing the way in which you're playing based on on the style in which you've you've made up that warband or or, or painted it. Um, talked about, you know, obviously modeling your warband completely differently with with your. Uh, your uh seraphon uh warband uh, and and your kernoff Counters warband which are both very very cool and a lot of fun to play against i have to say
0: oh thank you yeah like there's there's so much ways you can expand you can either if you, if you really want something that isn't out there you can represent it like i think another cool one i've seen is forge world age of sigma skinwolves used to represent i think either like a corrupted version of Steelheart's Champions or Magor's Fiends. I think that's really cool because yeah. they tell what pounders as uh, Riptooth. That's so it's like really cool way you can tie other miniatures into that warband so they're not the same fighters but they represent the same playstyle.
1: That's cool. That's pretty creepy as well, yeah. Um yeah, on top of that like the idea of, you know, you if you play with a warband a lot, you're going to develop the characters in your mind of of, you know, how this fighter reacts. I mean, Maybe your uh blooded saik is is not a head taker. Maybe he is all about standing at the back and, and uh telling the others where to go so that he's ready to to lay the chop in when he needs to, rather than being um super aggressive and running forwards. Or maybe the alternative, maybe he's the one who runs in, slays the first few people and, and becomes immortal for doing it, you know, or 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 is a suicide king for it. But exactly you you feed into it the background that you've built up over time. And and if you're talking about that with your opponent as you're making those actions you're bringing the narrative in and you're telling a story as you're playing the game
0: yeah um and then is there anything else we've
1: um we talked a bit about um you know building your deck kind of around a theme um which you know is obviously really useful when when you're trying to play for uh you know, and
0: yeah stuff. i mean yeah.
1: You, you want your deck to work in a way that is cohesive but yeah building building a theme into your deck as well can can really help with the narrative aspect of it and we talked about playing obviously um alternate games so so you're not always playing um you know a straight up best of three you could be playing as you said the the shard mad gargant or or one of the other um kind of mini games or making up your own ones that um kind of play into a theme um and you can yeah, where you're like
0: trying to slash together alliances to beat this giant monster or just make it out alive yeah it's just nice twists and a refreshment because you know if you're playing competitively all the time eventually it's going to start burning you out
1: yeah and and if you have a multiplayer game you know what's 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 the reason for for this particular multiplayer game tell tell a story about it um because you will remember it more as as you say and and, and you'll probably enjoy it a lot more as well
0: yeah and you can even do little things like you can alter your warband story so like if you're really into the narrative you could write a story about how the games played so you could do like um, the grimwatch against starbags gets and then write a story based on how that game went using like who was killed what who won or lost and then like yeah if you just really wanted to explore you can use your games as inspiration for how you can tell a story physically
1: uh, mat- match reports um, yeah. written from from the perspective of, of of what's going on, rather than saying, and then two crits were rolled and, and there was nothing I could do about it, talking about how uh, the unstoppable blow was struck Um you know it can be a lot of fun you see a lot of that in the blood bowl community um play-by-play reports that are not about dice rolls and movement they're just describing you know what's going on on the pitch um and it's a bit easier in, in blood bowl because you know you have commentators and things sat by the side of the pitch actually commenting so maybe a bit different in in underwords but i could definitely see that kind of thing working
0: i basically did that with my iron skulls when they won <laughs> uh, but it- yes i remember <laughs> <laughs> it gets uh, as a personal experience. It takes you know, think you think about writing in Orc speak is really fun, and then you do it for like three thousand words, and then it eventually becomes really difficult. But even then, that's a, like a good way because I was like, instead of rolling crits, it's like I hit him, and then he moved back really odd and it <laughs> accidentally killed me. But it's stuff like that, you know. It's 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 nice ways you can tie narrative elements into even how you play.
1: Yeah, sure. Man, this has got me psyched up. I want to I want to play some underworlds now and and uh and start breaking some of these ideas out.
0: Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's given me ideas for what I want to do next, especially, you know, with at the time of recording, this is August, so we're still waiting for more Gwaves Blade Covenant and Morgox's Crushes to come out. So that's an interesting um interesting narrative explorement for us as well as, you know, stuff that's coming out in the future that We are, you know, Waiting for as well that Games Workshop has talked about. Like yeah. there's always, especially with the alternate game modes, I think that's where you can really get a lot of enjoyment out of it when you're not playing it competitively, but just you know going to have some narrative fun.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to see what comes out next. Um, there's there's so much excitement, um, you know that, that 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 we don't know about yet. So uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be really really cool to see you know what happens with. Uh, with the next season and everything like that, obviously, but, but you know what, what happens in between where the community takes it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited.
0: Yeah. It's a really good time to be an Underworlds player. Uh, but yeah, I will just wrap things up now. So I've, I've hoped you had fun listening to our podcast about narrative elements and hopefully it's opened your eyes about how you can tie narrative elements to how you play. And if you've already been doing that, how you can enhance that to get more fulfillment for the game, because as always, even if you're just playing competitively or you think you can only play underworlds competitive competitively, there's always more ways to play that can help represent your hobby and having fun for yourself and your opponent. Um, but yeah, so that's it for me. I hope you've enjoyed crit cast. You can catch it on Podbean and I player, an iPlayer, um, the Apple store as well. Uh, it should be on uh, Spotify by now cause this will be the fifth or sixth one. So I can get onto Spotify, but, um, yeah, that's it for me. And, uh, it's goodbye from Paul as well.
1: Yep, thanks for having thanks. me, John.
0: No, it's been a pleasure. It's always great having you on and being able to chat to you about Warhammer Underworlds. But yeah, I've hope you've had a good listen and hope I'll see you for the next episode. So have a good day. Goodbye.